Welcome to Machine Learning. Why do derivatives destroy a currency? Currency is based on the value of a commodity such as gold. The currency itself is a medium of exchange, is a mechanism that facilitates the exchange of goods and services. It's basically a note. And uh, it's usually backed by a commodity according to economic theory because you can't exchange something for nothing so there has to be something that it's uh, being exchanged for and for example in the Book of Mormon they had weights and measures that they exchanged things for and they did that in terms of gold and silver and barley, bushels of, or units of barley, and um, so there was an exchange mechanism where they were exchanging things. Now things have changed because we are in a digital age, but it still has that level of credibility because we have the right to contract, and the contract has binding power. But a currency is only as good as the value of the medium that backs it. That's why so many currencies eventually fail. The government uses the currency to pay its bills, but in the process, the government usually ends up devaluating the currency. This leads to runaway inflation. Now, the question that was raised yesterday in the crash proof is could hyperinflation occur? And I've been thinking through that last night about whether the author was correct in his analysis, and I don't think he was, and here's why. Current, the countries will not surrender their local currency for um, back from dollars to their local currency, because if that event did happen, um, it would be only a matter of time before the local currencies of the world all deflated. So if the United States falls into deflation, the rest of the world falls into deflation with it. It's just because the dollar as the reserve currency is such a critical component to world economics. So we're all in the ship at the same time. And there isn't one country that exists that can survive without the economics of the United States. So I think his analysis is incorrect, and uh, it may be too doomsday to accept. Now, what could trigger hyperinflation is war. But what would happen in that event of war, I think, is default on debt owed. So the countries that went to war, um, they will just have their assets seized, and by the stronger country, which would be the U.S., and there would be default on those IOUs as a form of sanctions. So even in that event, I don't see hyperinflation as a possibility. Now, could you have rising inflation for several years that's very burdensome? Yes, I think you could have that. Um, is it no wonder that economists have long thought the only way to have a healthy economy was to have a gold-backed currency? And several of my books I wrote about the possibility of a gold-backed currency. 
But if a currency is backed by gold, it can be used as a medium of exchange. Gold isn't very portable. It's heavy and can't, can't be divided. So that's why the notes uh, exist, because it's an easier way of exchanging. Uh, so in 1971, the U.S. government did away with the gold standard. The dollar became a fiat currency. It was backed by nothing. Um, all that was required, well, actually, it was backed by gold. JFK kept the executive order. That's why we have the Federal Reserve. That's why in the Federal Reserve there is gold in uh, the vaults is because a currency has to be built backed by a commodity and to a certain value of that currency. Okay, derivatives are based on fiat currency. Where does that leave the derivatives? Derivatives are not backed by anything. They're just financial instruments, contracts, but they're sold as if they're backed by a tangible asset. Yeah, and that's why I don't like IFDs, I don't like derivatives, is because you don't have, you can't surrender that derivative for a physical asset. It's linked to the asset based on supply and demand. Uh, through a financial instrument called a derivative where there's one party that's a winner and one party that's a loser. Banks, insurance companies, and pension funds buy them. They're gambling on them. They're betting that they will earn big profits. They're playing a casino game with derivatives and the casino always wins. Casino wins because it doesn't back the bets with anything. It uses fiat currency derivatives to back the bets. Okay, so that's the why currencies uh, get destroyed by derivatives. It's actually a financial cancer. I don't like derivatives, but they're, they they are popular. Um, we saw that in the mortgage-backed securities where derivatives were playing an impact where you had uh, CDSs that were offset, offsetting against the MBSs, which are the mortgage-backed securities and the hedge funding's making record-level profits as the banks were paying out. Okay, there's a book written called Bullseye Investing. It said that Jer Jeremy Grotham of GMO oversaw $54 billion in his fund and decided in 1988-99 to get out of the stock portfolios. Stocks for the long run had stopped looking attractive. Grantham discovered 28 bubbles with two or more standard deviations. It's pretty big. Okay, a standard deviation from the mean. Uh, you go out two standard deviations, you're up into that 90%. Three, you're at the 99%. Um, so, it, yeah, that's, that's a large loss, large loss. 28 bubbles where there's big deviations from the mean. In the last 138 years. So he looked at 138 years of trading, 28 bubbles, at least two or more standard deviations. Uh, the meant that the market returned back to a, a price to earnings ratio of 14.6, and the market uh, hole when the two thirds was about 23. So when PE went from 23 to 14. John Malden believes the market will return to single-digit P ratios. 
So that's less than 10%. Malden claims the market is 50% overvalued using four measurements based on dividend yield. First, the Tobin Q factor is the market's value of firms' assets divided by their replacement value is high by 31%. Second, the price of stocks to their 10-year average of real earnings is too high by 31%. And third, market capitalization, stock price times outstanding shares compared to gross domestic product is high by 45%. And fourth, the market PE value of 26 is high from a from the 15 PE median and Malden and Gratham concede to raising the medium to 17.5. Well, that was what uh, um, the market uh, said was that's the, the point of repentance is 17.5. And we saw that in 2008. The market did return to about a 17.5 PE. And we're really high right now with the stock market um, at one time touching close to 30,000. So if we ran all these numbers, they would be higher percentages. So you could conclude that the market is highly overvalued even today. But even at this time, he was saying uh, when he wrote the book uh, Bullseye Investing that the market was 50% overvalued and he thought that the market would correct to 6,000. Well, we saw it correct almost to 7,000 in 2009, uh, seven to nine ratio time period. The market loves comfort, stability, growth, stable, stable low inflation, strong profit margins, Biotech and technology receive no exception as investors move from future value expectations to present value. See, and, that, and that's the dot-com boom was future value expectations. You know, we see Amazon survived it, but they had at one time 10,000 PE ratio. It was a crazy high, but they used that money to build the future, and now they're a really solid company. And during COVID, everyone was buying from Amazon, including myself. I had a Prime account, and I was uh, doing lots of purchases through Amazon. So what's the 20-year horizon? Malden observed that every period of 9.6% market returns started with low PE ratios. So it's going to be a low PE ratio, 20-year uh, cycle, 20-year cycle, is good because you can't beat that investment in a any 20 year period span but it means if we are at the peak of that cycle then it'll be somewhere between now and 20 years that you will see um, the market return